Well, hello and welcome to episode four of our podcast, Loving Your Garden, as it's now called. Uh, we very briefly called it Dibber and Trug, but we realised, look, we've got a better brand right on our doorstep. So uh, we've gone to Loving Your Garden because we have a Facebook group of 2,000 members. And why wouldn't we stick with that brand? So uh, hello to all members of, of Loving Your Garden. This is your podcast. And uh, we hopefully we're, we're going to take this far and wide. We're on Google now. We're on uh, Apple and uh, we're also available on Spotify as well as Podbean where we where we originate the podcast. But I want to say hello to, well, first of all, Richard, my co-conspirator. Hello, Richard. Have you had a good week? I have, Brad. I've had a very good week. I've had a good night tonight as well. In fact, I know I left work early so I could get in the garden. <clears throat> but um, I couldn't got away with it, <laughs> so stayed all day. I had uh, ideas of doing loads. Uh, I had a big list of things to do, including finishing uh, scarifying the garden after my scarifier uh, drive belt went last week. Told you about that. And giving the lawn the first cut after much derision from you about having not done it yet. But then this, this the new electric awning arrived, which I was very, very excited about, rather more so than I should have been. And in the end, I just ended up sitting under our new awning with a, with a cup of coffee Coffee and enjoying lunch, watching a tree surgeon at work. And boy, do those guys earn their money. It was so impressive. I mean, it was much more entertaining than watching Unforgotten on TV. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, let, let's bring our guest in because I'm, I'm sure he'll have something to say about this. Our guest this evening, I want to, I'm really delighted to have Martin Fish back with us. Martin, uh, hello. Nice to see you again and hear you again. Yes, well, thank you for inviting me on. And I, I'm really, really intrigued with this electric awning. I don't think I've seen an electric awning. I mean, we'll, we'll come back to the tree surgeons, I'm sure, but does this attach to the wall and then sort of extend out? It Is does. It- we have a balcony and uh, and it just, it, we were, I'm in an hourring about stuff to do and, and how to sort of move things on. And we decided, look, uh, look let's just do it. Let's, let's push the boat out and get one of these electric awnings. But of course, it's got everything on it. It's got uh, a heater uh, and lights. And a Prosecco dispenser? No, not really. It hasn't got that. Um, but but it, it, it is it's something very opulent about it. I mean, it, yeah, it's just an awning at the end of the day. But, um, yeah. I, I knew there was something a bit posh about you, Rod. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, maybe. Anyway, uh, so, but with, with all of that and watching the tree surgeon, just watching him work with all of the the lines and the pulleys and and the way he was he was working with the chainsaw it was just a lesson in why you you must invest in in a pucker firm you know one that's 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 properly licensed that where the guys have been properly trained uh, and I watched him. Don't know what the tree is, but it's a big one. And he pollarded. Uh, he pollarded. No, he coppiced this tree. Get it right. And it brought it this enormous tree right down. Uh, and he did it in about three four hours. And the speed at which he worked uh, was so impressive. But doing it safely as well. Yeah, it was a real. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, they are highly skilled, aren't they? And they they specialize in what they're doing. And it's, you know, anything other. I now take the stance that if I have to get a ladder out, I don't do it. I'd get somebody in to do it that knows better than me. If it's from the ground, I'll have a go. But, you know, I'm not a tree surgeon, so I'd sooner pay somebody that knows what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Have you done much tree work, Richard, or had to have much tree work done? I have in the past. A um, couple of houses ago, we had some um, large willows in, crack willow, 
and it's really tall and they got to sort of maturity and they're on the bank and they kept breaking and snapping. So I had a friend who's happened to be a tree surgeon and he came to do a little bit of work and a couple of points that, that we had there was one, as he climbed up, he, he forgot to tell me that he'd actually broken his rib as he climbed my tree, but he'd previously broken it twice before doing his tree surgeon work. Um, so he cracked it as he as he hauled himself over. And then the second thing he did was he sent me off over the field, across the back, and twirled this piece of rope in about, I don't know, he tied it to the top and now I was holding it. And the tree came down, beautiful, but I thought, well, what was the point in that? I had, I had no input at all in this. And he, he informed me that he wanted he simply wanted me out of the way <laughs> in a safe place <laughs> so that he could get on with his job because he knows what I'm like. I like to get involved. So, yes, I have had some tree work done. But but like you, at, um, at the estate where I work, um, I get sea tree surgeons coming and going. Um, and this chap was up a silver birch tree and it was huge. And he was right up there and he was whipping about up the top and blummy neck. I, I couldn't have done it, but he had an LP below him. They've got to have somebody that trusts, haven't they, completely? Yeah, yeah. And he was cutting these bits off and dropping. He had to bring them down controls because he was above a greenhouse. And he was doing it absolutely brilliantly. But he, spent, he must have spent two hours on this one tree. Uh, but by the end of it, he'd done about six. And it was brilliant. Absolutely it's the much. speed at which they can work, and, and 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 lifting these enormous limbs that must weigh a, a, a huge amount, but lifting them gently down to the ground is is very skillful. I have to say, I was very impressed. When I was an apprentice, I mean, this is going back over forty years ago now. Before we had all the the, the safety equipment, you know, it didn't seem to exist so much forty years ago, did it? Safety equipment. I was only I'd only be probably seventeen or eighteen as an apprentice and we were doing some tree work on the parks that I worked for and the boss said to me you're young can you climb trees and I said yes and he sent me up a poplar tree as you know very tall very slender but he said tie this rope round you, your waist climb up halfway or three quarters of the way and I climbed up there I used to do a lot of tree climbing as a kid got there and then he said right tie yourself to the tree with a piece of the rope so I looped it round the, the trunk and round me and then he said, now lower the rope, one end of the rope. And they tied a 12-inch petrol chainsaw with the engine running to this. And I had to pull it up. Absolutely petrified I was. And he said, right, just reach above you um, and just cut off the top six foot of the tree and then lower it back down. And that was my baptism of fire into tree surgery as a 17, wow. 18 year old. I mean, it broke every rule in the book, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how we used to do it in those days. Don't well, you, try this at home. You're here Please. to tell the story now, which is the, the impressive thing. Yeah. Um, now, Martin, by the way, runs a, an excellent site called Pots and Trowels, uh, which uh, is very, very professional. I mean, well, he is a professional, but I mean, it's, it's I think that your relationship with the camera uh, operator, uh, ex former BBC camera operator, has uh, stood you in very good stead there because the film quality is outstanding and uh, you give some great demonstrations. So uh, pots and trials, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Yes, we put a new one on every Thursday. It's there forever, of course, and, we, and it's also on YouTube. But every Thursday we, we post the new one on Facebook. 
So I, what I wanted to do this week with both of you is is to, because it's something that I'm in the process of doing, and I think it'd be really good to talk this through, because w- one of the things that has emerged from talking to people like Nick Hamilton and uh, more recently David Stevens, who you'll hear on next week's podcast, is the importance of pairing shrubs that actually work well together and help a garden flow. And so uh, do you want to start me off, Martin? And- yeah, no, I mean, I, I think anybody doing a garden, I mean, I think shrubs are an important part of the garden. They add structure to it. And it's very easy when people lay out a garden, especially if they start at this time of the year, to get lots of summer colour and interest. But I think you've got to think of the, the four seasons of the garden and you want colour and interest in the garden all year round. So I think, you know, I always say to people when they're saying, what can I plant in my garden? I say, when you want something so that if you walk down in the garden in September or December or January, there's something that's going to be interesting in the garden. So I think shrubs uh, are a really good way to get some structure there, permanent structure. So evergreens are great. Um, They can either be clipped. Um, I'm not a fan of clipping lots of things, but things like you, for example, or box, if you've got them as structural plants, strategically positioned in beds or borders, just add that height and texture and colour all year round. Uh, Holly is a good one to use, again, because it's evergreen, but lots of other colourful evergreens like Eliagnus is a good one. can be quite fast growing, so you've got to obviously be careful where you put it, but if you want something smaller with colourful leaves, then some of the lower um, euonymus are perfect for that. And one of the shrubs that I use quite a lot in the garden, I've got quite, I say the garden, we've literally just moved. So in, in our old garden, we, we're waiting to develop a new garden, but I planted quite a few Pittosporum and there's some really good forms of Pittosporum and they're much tougher than we give them credit for. They they come from New Zealand. And I remember years ago, they'd say, don't plant them in the North of England, anything from the Midlands northwards, they won't grow. Well, they will, they, they're really tough. The really lovely one called Tom Thumb, and it has a natural mound shape to it and the really deep plum colored leaves right the way through the winter. In the winter, it's at its best. And then in the spring, you get the new flush of paler growth and then it goes dark again the following winter. And they're just lovely. If you've got these mounds of this evergreen, um, I grow a lovely variegated one called Gold Heart, slightly bigger, but got, again, a naturally dome shape. They just add that structure to the garden. But then I think we can work in deciduous shrubs. Not everything has to be evergreen to give it structure because we've got, you know, winter flowering shrubs like viburnums, the shrubby honeysuckles are, are great at this time of the year. Shrubs grown for stem colour, the, you know, the dogwoods, the cornus, you know, red, yellow, orange, green, purple stems look fantastic from November when the leaves fall off to this time of the year, um, I always think you know, end of March is the time, cut them back, you'll then get a wonderful flush of growth that will give you masses and masses uh, uh, of colour then next year when the leaves fall off. So think of shrubs, you don't have to do just a shrub border, shrubs strategically placed, and then you can infill with perennials and grasses to get that lovely seasonal effect. So you've just got to think about it and plan it all year round. How about yourself, Richard? Um, I don't know what you mean by, you initially said about pairing. 
Does it mean, well, does it mean uh, by? Not, not so much pairing, but grouping. Nick Hamilton talked, to, uh, and both Nick Hamilton and David Stevens talked about this this flow of a garden, so that you yeah. so you can walk through mean. a garden and you 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 get a sense of what the garden is all about. Um, the mistake that I've made, and I'm, uh, uh, you know, because I'm a, a rank amateur, really, is uh, rank. I said amateur, uh, is that uh, you you get carried away with with stuff that you see in plant yeah. centres or nurseries, uh, and you end up with too much. And, and I'm finding yeah. now I'm stripping stuff out of the garden that I put in two, three seasons ago. Uh, because it's just all too much. It's all too different. Uh, and it's it's incohesive. Is that the right word? What I'm talking about really is is getting the colours to match each other and the plants to complement each other so that you don't get that kind of clash of, of all the, this mishmash of, of plants going on. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, I've been doing this for quite a long time anyway. So I've um, it, uh, plant association. That's what I like. And I okay. like... Um, and I know what you mean about the trees because I've got I've been quite lucky when I moved up here because we've got a, a Prunus pisardii here, which is quite mature. And then next to it is a Mahonia. Um, so the Prunus drops its leaves, but the in fact, it's beautiful at the minute. It's absolutely clothed in um, flowers at the minute. Um, but the Mahonia is, a, is an evergreen light. And like Martin says, you need these in the garden. And I have got the, I've got Pittosporums. I've got the Tom for me talked about. And I've got one called Garnettii, which I know from previous gardens is, is really hardy. Now, I'm up at Bimbrook now, so I don't know whether this is going to be the same case up here because we're on the top of the world, aren't we, up here? But anyway, <laughs> we'll see about that. It's <laughs> well, not Tibet, Richard. <laughs> it's not far off. I've got some. I've got an Himalayan birch straight in front of the window here, <laughs> uh, which I absolutely love. And I, I collect um, interesting trees, and, and you know, I got you into the into the Solberston ad. Um, autumn spire and i've got three of those now they're they're they've got good interest these things but i kind of do i have placements of plants so i want to see an interesting plant further away from because i want I, people don't get my sort of gardening at times um especially the people i work with who just don't get why i would put a, a gate at the you know i've got a gate as i look right at the back end and why are you putting that there because there's no point well the gate draws you through it want it makes you want to go through and plants do that as well and interesting plants do it even better and that's what i like i like interesting plants you're starting to rip things out because you're starting to realize you much not being funny here Rob, but you're maturing now with your plants you're suddenly realizing that actually you've you're getting a better taste and this is why i went off Dare I say, blousy flowers. That's why I went off them because I kind of grew up a little bit. No, and that, that's not derogatory. I, I wanted a certain style, yeah. and I like to do design work, and I like to plant things that are going to work together, and they do work together. And I've made many mistakes where I've had to take stuff out, but I've also made some good combinations that I've shared with other people as well um, that I've planted, like um, some, you know, I'm into grasses, so Calamagrostis and one of the Nifophias. Um, absolutely complement each other, and I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to work out which one it is at the minute, but um, I've not had it as a combination for quite some time since I moved here, and I'm trying I'm experimenting with other ones at the moment like toffee nosed and all that. See if they work with Calamagrostis because you know Cal Forster because they they flower at the same time, so they just complement each other beautifully. But he's right, you've got to be very very careful. We're all tempted to run in the garden centre and just buy what we like the look of. 
But once you get to mine and Martin's sort of stage, Martin's further on than me, you get this sort of taste and you go, you start reading your books, you start looking at things, you visit gardens and you see the combinations they've already got themselves. And as I've said before, you can you can spend a lifetime learning by your own mistakes, learn by somebody else's previously. You know, you've got to make your own mistakes. That's how you learn. But you need to also be looking at other people's combinations. And I'm, I'm, I'll hold my hands up and say I've, I've pinched ideas from other people. And I, I do watch Martin's um, podcast as well. So I'll probably pinch some of his combinations. I've absolutely no doubt I'll do that as well. Because, um, you know, we're all learning all the time. We're all learning what to do. But you must get to some of these great gardens like the chap you've just mentioned. Uh, Barnsdale. Barnsdale. Barnsdale you've got to visit these places because these people have been doing it a long time and Jeff was brilliant at it. And, you know, it's him who really got me into gardening. He was the first thingy I watched properly when I started thinking, you know, I really like this already, but this bloke's really instilling that. And obviously his son's come on and said, you need to do this combination and that combination. Yeah, well, yeah. Great Dick's good for that as well. I've been down there and they're really good at putting combinations together. Where's that, sorry? Great Dickster, Christopher Lloyd, right down at uh, Wortham, I think it's called North Wortham or something like that. I had okay. the opportunity to go three years ago and it's it's been on my bucket list for a long, long time and I got to go there. So I visited it several times while we was in the area. Uh, and that's really good. And they've got some absolutely stunning combinations. And I borrowed one of those for up here as well. So we'll see if it works. They're a lot more protected down there and the further south. I, I think not- though that's a good point, Richard, because we all we all make mistakes because plants react differently in different gardens and different situations. So although you it, it's you see something somewhere else and you try it, you sometimes have to tweak it to get it right. But I, I missed a bit of your introduction, Rod, because we had the glip with the uh, the internet and um, with the pen. I think something that's worth doing as well is if you are choosing plants for the garden and you know, you, you're revamping it, have some repeats. So it's very tempting to go out and buy as big a range as you can and just dot one, 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 one. Yeah. Now lots of designers will now, nowadays I do some work with a designer and she will plant in groups of 10, 15, even 20 big, big blocks. Now, the average size garden, you couldn't do that because it would no. probably fill your garden with about three it species. Would, mine. But if you've got, <laughs> yeah, if you've got perennials and grasses, they do work well in small groups. But if it's shrubs, I tend to plant them singly because a shrub can get to be quite big depending what it is. But to have some repeat, so you know, if you've got, for example, I love hydrangea Annabelle. Uh, it's really good summer flowering shrub. It you know draws your eye to it, those big white blooms. But don't just have one, have one at one part of the garden, then another one in another area that draws your eye from one to the other, and and then another one. So work them in threes, but don't have them in a group together, different parts of the garden. And it gives you that continuity, and that will help to guide you around the garden, you know. And if you've got, you know, grasses, have some of the same grass somewhere else in the garden, or if you've got things like verbenas or sedums, whatever it is, you've got those clumps in various areas it literally links it together but you've still got different areas of the garden to explore but it's got a theme to it it's just to get that theme as you can walk around that's exactly what what i was getting at really and i think people will find this this well i hope people will find this interesting because people who've been gardening for years i think get this absolutely but um uh, for people who over the last year have suddenly discovered their garden and thought 
gosh, you know, I, I had no idea that we, we could have so much fun in the garden. Uh, these are the sort of, of, of things they're going to come across, I think, over, over the next uh, couple of years, much as I've done over the last five years. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You've got to, you've got to have link planting and, that, and, the, and the newbies, shall we say, they don't, they don't fully understand it yet, but they will, they'll, they'll get it. And the only advice I can give to new people is uh, new, get new to gardening is to go and visit Gardens of the Yellow Book and all that. And, and that time's coming again where we'll be able to go and visit these things. And that's how you learn. You, you need to go and visit these. I use Eupatorium um, as a link plant up here now. I've got lots of those planted and, and hopefully they'll do the trick for me. But they're quite late season, so I have to be mindful that... Well, Martin, when does, when does Annabelle flower? I can't, I can't remember that one. Um, it, it's Seven. usually in flower by July and then it's in flower through September into October. Yeah, which is, is really good. But my Eupatoriums, you see, won't come in till about, oh God, July, um, maybe August. And then and that's quite late for some people because I'm into my ornamental grasses and that. And I like to do the prairie type planting. It's not strictly true. I just like grasses. I, I, I they, They're intertwined with other stuff. Like you talk about your shrubs. I inherited a shrubbery here that you won't believe. It was just crazy. I can't even remember the name of the main shrub. And at first it threw me. I thought it was Spirea arguta, but it wasn't. It was that snowberry one, the one that grows wild in all the woods. Um, yeah. I can't remember the name now. Inforicarpus. That's the one, yeah. And it's, yeah. it was, it's, to be honest with you, I had one 15 foot tall and several, because you know it's a bit rampant, isn't it? It was all over the garden and, and, I ended up taking that 15-foot shrub out. I ended up with my cousin up here with a mini digger, ripping them out. And I've, I've maintained the, the sort of essence of what the person before had done. Oh, so she had some good ideas, but too many of them. She's got Viburnum Bodnan tents, mm. um, and I've got it next to a great big Berberis, next to Catinus. You know, they're all in close proximity, proximity of one another, and they're just too close. And people forget that these things are going to get... Um, you know yourself that these the Catinus, uh, it's just just the ordinary one, uh, the purple one, and it, it it was huge, and I've had to I've had to nip it back in, and I I, I was sort of tossing it up as to which one was going to survive, the Berberis or the Catinus. Both I absolutely love, so I've managed to give them their own structure. I've made the Berberis stay high as it is, and I've brought the Catinus back in because I know it's going to do its thing because um, it's the smoke bush in it, so it's going to. Oh, I love Catinus. Yeah, it'll look lovely. But again, I've got you've got to be mindful because when you're new to it, I, I laugh when I go. I used to go out as a sort of doing advisory visits with people, and I could spot the ones who've been to the garden centre. And I think you'll probably both remember this. You can buy packs of shrubs, you know, six in a pack, and you could see all them. And I think that's yeah. what happened here as well. They've got mm. they planted all six within two foot of each other, and this is what had gone wrong. They'd all grown. So David Stevens um, gave some rather obvious advice, but but it was it was good advice. And I'm planning to go to Barnsdale fairly soon, as soon as we can get in there. Well, it's I mean it's open now, but uh, the nursery opens on the 12th of April, and of course that's the time you know that I want to go is when you can get into the nursery after you've walked around the gardens, knowing what it is you're gonna you're gonna get. Um, yeah. But he said, whatever you do, take a notebook. Uh, and as you're walking around the gardens, you know, you'll see 
the the plants that that, that excite you that that you think would would work well, but also have a camera with you. Take take photographs, take copious notes, and, and you'll learn a lot from 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 just just observing and and taking these notes. If you both have a thing, you've mentioned one garden, Richard, but Martin, give give us some gardens that you think would be well worth going to visit when when we can get out again. Well, I mean, yeah, Barnsdale is brilliant. And um, one that I love, which is up our neck of the woods, is Harlow Carr um, in Harrogate in North Yorkshire. It's an RHS garden, which is open now anyway, although it tends to be for local people. So in a few weeks to everybody, it, it's got so many lovely areas and, and they've basically planted it for all year round interest. So, you know, you've got the structure there with lots of interesting plants between. So I think that's a, a really good one to look at. Um, Felly Priory in Nottinghamshire, a privately owned garden uh, near junction 27 of the M1. Uh, not a huge garden, but some really clever planting, lots of yew hedges uh, and then nice herbaceous borders, rose borders. So very different feel to it. I think that's a, a good one to visit if you're in Nottinghamshire in the East Midlands somewhere there. And I mean, the good thing is visiting gardens is a fantastic way to get ideas. I do it all the time. You know, you go to a garden, you pinch that little idea from that garden, that idea from another garden. Um, and I think it, it, you, you're paying them a compliment because you're taking an idea from their garden. And I feel the same. If somebody comes to my garden and says, oh, we like that little planting combination, I hope they're going to use it because, you know, it makes me feel good that they, they're inspired by something I've done. So never, ever worry about, you're not pinching ideas, you're just creating ideas based on what you've seen in other gardens and, and create your own garden. But yeah, visiting gardens, as Richard said, the NGS gardens and bigger gardens is, is I think, one of the best ways to get ideas. And then you can create your idea based on all of those merged together. Richard? Yeah, to totally agree. And I went on a, oh God, years and years ago, I went on a little design course. And the first thing the lady said to me was, uh, nothing is unique and everything's been done before. So don't worry about copying people's ideas because you must. It's the only way you learn. Unless, like I say, you're going to learn by your own mistakes. You'll, you'll end up going in the garden centres and buying stuff like that. And I'm a big believer of the nurseries like Barnsdale is, I love going to these places. They, they're what inspire me and fire me up. If I go to a garden centre, if I'm looking for something in particular, like mm. I've just bought um, Ace Trompenberg, which I was looking for, and I knew where it was. So I went to a garden centre because I knew I could get it from that. And, and that's fine. But I like to go to places like Barnsdale because I know damn well they're going to have unique and original plants, uh, um, actual plants there. What I probably won't find elsewhere. I'm not going to like everything that's unique and original. Don't make it a better plant. It probably just fits in better with what I want to put into my garden, something more unusual. So, and as Martin will probably find, no, you'll already know that you've, if you want something really interesting, you've got to do your shopping online, get out, get onto these internet sites yeah. and find them and get them delivered, which mm. is what I do quite a lot. In fact, I do it a little bit too much, actually. And uh, yeah, but we all do that. We'll get carried away. All right. Well, uh, really interesting, uh, guys. Thank you very much indeed. Um, let's just uh, depart then on our our tasks of the week. Um, uh, now, Martin, you've you've just you're in the process of moving house, but you are of course busy as a gardener. So, what, what what's your week going to be like? 
Well, we have got a very little garden where we've moved to, but fortunately we've got a big vegetable garden that we're using in the village where we are, which we're now preparing. So if, you, if anybody's growing vegetables, I think, you know, the next week or so, if you haven't got the ground ready, it's time to do it. I personally think it's too early to sow or plant most veg. We're up in North Yorkshire. I don't normally start sowing and planting till early April. And, um, you know, we're going to have quite a cool spell of weather. So <laughs> I'm doing some ground preparation, getting the ground ready. But you can still, you know, if you haven't got them, get your onion sets. I was in a, a nursery yesterday and they still had onion sets. They had a good selection of seed potatoes. So it's not too late to get all of those. And if you've got somewhere sheltered and undercover a cold greenhouse or a conservatory windowsill you know you can be sowing your lettuces and still be sowing broad beans some of the hardier vegetables so you've got plug plants ready to go out in a few weeks time so it's all about preparation getting the ground ready so that when the weather does warm up and it stays warm and, and the soil temperature is warmer then you can you know hit the ground running don't do it too early. If you start sowing things like runner beans now and all of those tender vegetables, they're just going to suffer and die. So just think ahead, plan what you can plant in the next couple of weeks and, uh, and then you'll enjoy some really nice fresh fruit and veg. Uh, Richard? I'm um, I'm doing exactly what I shouldn't be doing. What am I? It's just advice again. I'm not I'm not planting vegetables, Rod. Don't worry about that. That's never going to happen. <laughs> I'm mainly just digging through borders and that. And like Martin said, just preparation. Yeah. I'm still putting mulches down. It, it, yeah. it pays to put mulches down. Yeah, me no too. What time of year it is? Mulch is always good. Um, and that's probably one of the safest bets if people want something to do. Go and get some mulch and put it in your borders. Excellent. Uh, Martin, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always. And people can find Pots and Trails easy enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it's on Facebook. So just if you're on Facebook, just do a search for Pots and Trowels and it will take you straight to the page. So, yeah, we'd love you to have a look at it. And if you uh, enjoy it, like it and follow us. Well, lovely to, to have you with us uh, tonight. Uh, Richard, great to see you again. And uh, we will be back with episode five of Loving Your Garden podcast. Uh, next week, it's David Stevens, uh, designer to the, the rich and famous uh, garden designer uh, so he, he'll be along uh, next week and we, we talk about um, uh, well design and, and all the things that we're interested in at this time of year so I uh, hope you can join us then thank you both thank you thank the very you. best